Hi, this is Helen, and thank you for joining me for a cup of teal. Teal is shorthand for the future of work. It means bringing your whole self to work, a focus on purpose and self-management. And this podcast is a chat over a cup of tea with the people who are making this happen in health, care and public services. Stories of self-management in action. Making space, we're inspired by the work that we did in wellbeing teams. And we wanted to take a different approach to introducing greater autonomy, decision-making closer to individuals and bringing your whole self to work to the organisation. In this podcast, Phil describes how we've been using sprints, using the cards created by the ready, and what that's meant for the executive team, headquarters and operations. It all starts with the question, what's getting in the way of you doing your best work? And in this podcast, Phil and I describe the process, the outcomes and the surprises from this new way of working. I'm Phil Orton. I'm the director of HR at Making Space, and we are a national charity that provides a range of health and social care services. So, Phil, in the last few months, well, actually starting last year, we've been sprinting. Could you tell people why this made sense to do right now? There's two points to this. The, the first one is over the past couple of years, Making Space has been working in partnership with wellbeing teams to uh, introduce self-managed teams to uh, domiciliary care, uh, which happened in Wigan over the past couple of years and, and, and finished at the end of last year. What we learned through that process was that by creating more autonomy within teams, we were able to achieve higher productivity, better outcomes for the people that were using our services, and also higher levels of staff engagement, which was really important to us. Uh, now, we already knew part of this evidence base, of course, it wasn't specifically just from wellbeing teams, but there is also clearly a growing evidence base around how creating uh, more psychological safety and autonomy in teams can result in higher performance. And one of the things we were quite keen to do as an organisation was we'd started structures, we'd started looking at the way we worked, and we'd recognised that we had certain ways of working in place that we felt we needed to and wanted to improve and bring more in line with our values, particularly around encouraging our, our staff to do their best and to have more autonomy and to be able to make decisions much closer to the line in many respects. Uh, and, and, and quite often teams are best placed to do that. Uh, so they were really the two pieces of learning that we'd got and, and, and what our objectives were for, for taking this forward. Thank you. So it's both looking at greater psychological safety in teams and a move towards greater autonomy. Now, what we've seen many organisations doing is then setting up and testing a self-managed team. But we wanted to do something really quite different, didn't we, Phil? So first of all, tell me how this connects to the values work, because I know you've just been doing a great piece of work with Jackie re-energizing or re-exploring the organizational values how do you see these two pieces of work connecting 
I think really what the, uh, the, the, the piece of work around values is reinforced is that as an organization, our, our core strength and our core offering is around how we develop very individualized and person-centered and quite unique relationships with, with people that, that come into contact with our services. And what, what we know from that is to be able to provide much more capable and competent support and care to individuals, we need to take that same approach with our staff. And that is that we, we treat them uniquely and they are encouraged to you know, be themselves at work. And I think that the work that we've done with the values really helps to draw those two together much closer so you can clearly see the link. Now, I have a really clear memory, Phil, of of a a day together last November where we covered one of the walls in the offices in Making Space in the big training room with the cards from the ready. And these are what they describe as tension cards. So we covered the walls with them and then we invited several teams from head office to explore with us what was getting in the way of them doing their best work. What's your biggest memory from the day, Phil? I think first of all the the buzz and the engagement from from all of the staff it was it was fantastic we'd got 45 people that had had done a lot had really a lot of work over over an 8 or 9 week period and what was really really interesting to see was how those individuals within teams had really come together and started to uh, to started to really focus upon how they'd the tensions that they've got in their team and how they could start to address them. And I saw individuals that really showed leadership, really came to the front, really, really stood out, you know, stood out to be noticed people that had a voice and were really quite integral in, in, in moving things forward in their team and working on their tensions. And that, that came out through the day really with some of the examples that we'd had but the gallery view that we had in the morning where, where people showed off their, their tensions and what they'd learnt, what their outcomes had been, et cetera, et cetera, was really quite powerful and, and, and showed potentially where we could go with this if we were to take it further. So that was the thing I think I, I would take away from the day. Thank you. So we started by getting a range of teams together with us some teams in the morning some teams in the afternoon let me see if I can remember them all Phil so we had um, marketing and fundraising business development HR quality finance payroll IT have I missed anybody else Phil and and our operations team the operations team thank you we gave everybody dots we had all the ready cards these are the tension cards on the wall and we asked the question what gets in the way of you doing your best work and everybody got up at the same time and voted on the ones that that they thought were particularly resonant for them and then we asked each team to choose just one card that for that team was getting in the way of them doing the best work this was in the very first wasn't it and then after that um, when they chose their their attention, we then explored the different practices that could help people move forward. And then you and a colleague from the HR team provided coaching and support over the eight-week sprint. So Phil, could you talk a bit about the coaching that you provided and how significant that felt? Yeah, so we, we we met with all teams at least twice and we, we met with them, tactically we chose to meet with them within two weeks of them having the day 
the, the, the workshop day. And what was important about doing that, everyone had agreed to a series of actions and certain actions had to be com completed within the first week. So we knew what was really important at the start is that we got some momentum and we took that forward from the workshop day then back into the day-to-day -day practice of the teams. So we had those first coaching sessions and and from those coaching sessions or certainly in the first round of coaching sessions there was there was a lot of questioning there was uh, some challenges as well looking at how people worked in their teams some people maybe uh, feeling they should go one way others feeling they should go others uh, we did some facilitation with, with with a couple of teams where we where we really started to focus down really drill down into their tension because what was really important for us was that it was easy at first for people to select what their tensions were but then to actually say right okay what's the tension that you want to work on in your team all of a sudden it became a little bit more difficult and that's because personalities came into play individuals came into play as well so it was really then about the team starting to to, to work together and say right okay if this is the tension what does that tension look like the first lot of coaching sessions really were were drilling down on those tensions to to, to really understand what they were and also to, to, to work out how we were going to gather data on the tension to support what the tension actually looked like in practice. So, for example, if, if individuals were saying that uh, they were spending time on the wrong things as their tension, what we identified as part of the data gathering exercise was, well, what do those wrong things look like? And can we have a tally of those over a, a given period of time for a couple of weeks we measured? you know, how many calls were coming in, how many requests for work were coming in. And then we were able to, to at least give us a benchmark to say, right, well, this is where we are as a team. This is what our tension looks like. And the next part then of the coaching was to look at, right, okay, well, we've done all of that, but now what are we going to do as a team to start addressing that tension? So the second part of the coaching was to look at then how we addressed the tension itself and some of the actions that the team took collectively or individually to start working on that tension. With the aim, of course, what was really important as part of the coaching was to continue to take people back to the start to say, let's just go back to, you, to, to what your original tension was and making sure that the, the work they did through the sprint continued to be aligned to the tension because it was quite easy for some teams to want to go off down rabbit holes. So it, it was about keep, keep keeping it aligned to working on that actual tension. Absolutely. And I think two things that I learned for the first sprint that we did together was, as you've just mentioned, the importance of collecting data. And I remember that HR were particularly impressive in how they did that. And perhaps you could talk about that in a few minutes time. The other thing was there is a belief that whatever tension you choose there's one solution and actually we found out that that wasn't the case so I remember that in the initial day that we had together we looked at two or three person-centered practices or, or practices that could help rest attention for example some teams looked at one-page profiles team agreements team profiles etc and really drilling down into those there were some amazing results though, weren't there, Phil? And I think some of the standout ones for me were what HR did, what payroll did, and what marketing did. So please share some of the successes. 
Yeah, certainly. So HR uh, focused upon uh, spending their time doing the wrong things. And what, what they were finding was, I suppose, on quite a transactional basis, that uh, despite having policies, procedures and all these other organisational things in place that managers and staff can go to to find out information, uh, they still diverted and, and, and opted for probably the easiest option, which is to phone people up. And quite often the HR team were involved in providing advice on information that had already been published or they were providing advice in somebody else's job area. And there were some examples of this from other teams, actually, of, of, of where people from one team were actually receiving a query from our services and, and then going off and finding out that information themselves rather than forwarding it onto the most appropriate person to deal with it. So what HR did, HR collected a lot of data initially on the number of calls that they were receiving and then they quantified those by looking at, well, how many of the calls should we have got, how many could we have diverted and how many did we not need to receive in the first place? And what they did through the eight-week sprint was they reduced down the hours that were associated with those misplaced calls or misplaced communications by 12 hours which was pretty significant because that's you know that's that that's a third of somebody's role spending as a team and you know there's there's nine people in the team so uh, that's a significant saving in time obviously they had to take a lot of steps to to put things in place that would provide that result and that's what they did but certainly and that and that level has has continued post the first sprint as well payroll on the other hand payroll had got a number of paper forms that have been out in circulation for quite a long time uh, many of those forms were the payroll team themselves felt that the forms needed updating some could be replaced etc etc so they worked on 12 payroll forms uh, they removed five altogether and the remaining forms they modified in some way and and updated and they obviously then put those out to the organization it's just interesting to see how you know how much dead information is collected and, and no one ever gives any thought to actually reviewing it. So that has enabled the payroll team to do that. And, and the payroll team have continued forward and, and made further improvements in lots of other areas. Uh, and the final one was marketing. So uh, marketing, again, they were spending time on doing the wrong things. Uh, and part of that was that the marketing team is, is set up to operate where they produce a lot of internal communications, marketing tools, et cetera, et cetera, for our head office and our services. And they spent their time on developing templates that other people could use. And uh, they produced some guidance with that. Uh, so they did that. They also introduced some type of confirmation practices that they were looking at their priorities every week and they were then self-assessing themselves on how well they were doing on those priorities and they were doing that on a, on a bi-weekly process so they'd look at what are my priorities over the next couple of weeks and then in two weeks time they would review that see how well they had done and then set themselves for objectives for the for the for the following two weeks they estimate that in in total and, and bearing in mind that this is only a very small team they 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 saved approximately 30 30 hours a week by taking in the approach that they're taking which is which is almost a full-time job in a very small team so so again quite a a, a tangible result that that they've got out of that 
I know when people came back eight weeks later and did this sort of show and tell, so they created some beautiful posters in the morning to summarize what they've done and what they found and then did 10 minute presentations later on. I, I was quite blown away that A, people had statistics and data to show the difference that is made, but also the amount of time that it was saving people. And um, there's some teams, they were reasonably simple changes that were very effective. For example, I'm sure you remember finance really working very, very differently about the big whiteboard that they had in their office and using that in a much more powerful way to communicate what was going on and having a different kind of meeting. And I think there were changes to the quality team's use of their whiteboard and they're now moving towards a Kanban style. So any other reflections on, on the first sprint before we talk a bit about the second sprint, Phil? Any surprises for you? I think really, well, people are always there to surprise, aren't they? And I, I think what was really interesting for me was that it, it, it was very evident that some some people, lot, lots of people actually, had been working together for quite a long time, but they'd never really had any discussions about them as a team how they work as a team, maybe what some of their common goals are, maybe about how they challenge each other and hold each other to account. And I think one of the things that you mentioned before, Helen, there was some similarity with the content. And I know that's gone into the second sprint as well, that particularly around things like team agreements, one-page profiles, you know, how we agree to work with each other as a team, how you can best support me at work, me at work, what people like and admire about me, that kind of stuff. I think what's come to this, it's quite easy to focus on some of the process stuff, but wider than that, the tension often sits with the individuals that are working on that project or that piece of work or within that team. So I think that started to come out through the second half of the first sprint, really, and then move into the second sprint. And I know we did some coaching around that as well. You're right. So what emerged really strongly from the first sprint is not just the opportunity to problem solve and create efficiencies and reflect on how the team's working. But as you said, the other objectives that we had for this around psychological safety, bringing your whole self to work, living the organization's values, we've seen movement towards that. But what I'm noticing now is relationships between teams and I was really struck by the HR team starting to take a coaching approach to the way they work with their colleagues and before that it was a bit like all of the teams thought well what we should be doing is be really nice to everybody so if they phone up with a request um, whatever degree of reasonableness is in the request we will just say yes and get on with it now there's a shift towards how can we coach each other to make sure that we're using our time well and appropriately and we're asking from the right things from each other and that started to emerge in the second sprint so we came back together again didn't we Phil and, and launched the second sprint same question same cards what's getting in the way of you doing your best work but I'm seeing a big difference in the kind of things that people are up for tackling now what are you noticing well I think I think the first thing just just reflecting upon what, what you'd said there if I, I think one of the roles of the senior management team or our executive our, our executive team in this instance has has been very much to hold the space to allow this to happen because it's it's quite easy that you you start off something like this and it kind of fizzles away that you know it's 
here's somebody else that's come up with a great idea and it's going to you know, run out over the next few weeks or, or, or that kind of stuff. But, but I think what was really important from the first sprint was to see those tangible results. This, you know, the, the improvement in productivity was really important and really quite powerful because it showed what we could achieve and it showed what teams could achieve by just having some time just to step out of their day-to-day role just for a couple of hours and, and, and look really at what are the things that we could be doing or what are the things that are getting in our way and what are the things that we could be doing that would make it even better. So I think the senior management team's role in, in certainly setting the narrative and holding the space and, and encouraging staff to problem solve more and to take accountability for that has been, has, has been significant to date. I think the other thing going forward then into the second sprints it's got much more about personalities. It's got much more around uh, interrelationships within teams. And one of the things that we did in the first sprint, so people have created team agreements, but then haven't really reviewed them that often, or when they have reviewed them, aren't necessarily challenging each other. And that, and that might be because of the psychological safety thing that we, that we mentioned before, that people feel that... They're not that comfortable in, in calling somebody out or holding somebody to account. And that could be a leader as, as well as a, as a team member, you know. So, and I think what's really important in that is that we continue to hold the space and we support staff and we encourage them to have those discussions. And because that's, that's the way forward for us, that, that people can feel safe to do so and, and, and can be at their best. And, and that links into our values. Uh, around people being able to be themselves. So uh, so the training is going to be taking place over the next couple of weeks, which we're all looking forward to. You're absolutely right that the role of the executive team and the CEO is critical here, both in terms of communicating this as a direction of travel that the whole organisation wants to embrace. And actually, Rachel Peacock, the CEO's personal leadership around this alongside you in her introducing each of the sessions with you and coming back again for the celebrations. I think that's important. And I love the way that she describes it as a triathlon of sprints. So we've done our first, we're halfway through the second, and there'll be a third. And the ultimate goal is that we co-create series of practices that people have tested out and find useful that we could then explore rolling out across making space to a wider degree and I love as you say that um, the boldness of looking at compassionate communication or non-violent communication or compassionate conversations about how you are able to have conversations that might feel braver more courageous sometimes difficult and how you can ask for what you need particularly at the HR team, I know that they're exploring um, tactical meetings from Holacracy with Michelle and and Phil. um, I got great feedback from Michelle last week around how well that had gone. So how's the coaching going this time and are you noticing anything different? I think what I've noticed so far, so again, we've met, we've met with all teams within a couple of weeks of the start of the second sprint and teams seem to be much more familiar with the process now. They have taken the work forward. They're probably more advanced during the second sprint, as I suppose is as expected. They're much clearer about what they need to do through this. 
but also at the same time, it's revisiting some of those areas that we'd that we'd uh, approached during the first sprint. So again, we're looking at how people work with each other. We're looking at what some of their goals are. We're looking at refining team agreements, making them sharper, making them clearer. Other people are starting to talk a little bit more as well. So there was, you know, we've we've certainly encouraged everybody to, to have a voice through this, but uh, we, we are starting to see that, you know, it's, there's a more broader buy-in from, from the teams on this second round. And I think that's really important going into the, into the third sprint, which is, of course, the, the running section, uh, which is where we've, you know, we've, we've practised out a lot of content and it's helping us to develop a framework of practices and, and approaches that we want to embed as a way of working across our head office teams. But then, of course, we're also doing two pilots out in our services. So they're also developing content and looking at different approaches with how they operate across different service types. So we've got extra care services that are taking part in it. We've got seven leaders that are, that are involved there. And then we've got some supported accommodation services uh, where we've got four leaders taking part there. So we're... Uh, we're taking a, a, a multi-pronged approach as such. Uh, so head office was really important to, to start it off because it's kind of the centre of the organisation in many respects. But what will be really important for us is about how we scale that up and, and, and put it out into more of our teams across the organisation. Thank you. Yes. And I know that you and Michelle, again, use the ready cards to explore what's getting in the way of operational colleagues doing their best work. And I know that you're starting with the leadership teams there. What are you noticing? What's similar and different to how this is working with the head office teams? I suppose it is it it is similar to extent to an extent. I think what's really similar is the two the two teams out in the services of have, have, have I think picked more or less the same tension to work on i think what's really interesting in that is both of the teams because they work across a geographical patch it's not they're not huge patches but a geographical patch they don't necessarily or they haven't previously worked as a team in that patch they might be part of a regional management team that covers a much wider patch but they don't necessarily work as a smaller group of services and i think it's been really useful first of all to, to to get that team together just on their own to start looking at their services and what you often find of course in this is that they've all got the similar tensions and they're all taking different approaches to deal with them or not because i, th- I think that's the the other interesting thing that bringing it all of the teams together, they've, they've all recognised that there's something that sits right at the end of their nose that causes a problem, but nobody really does anything about it or nobody feels comfortable or, or uh, skilled to be able to have those conversations or, or maybe they have in the past and, you, you know, it's not been taken forward. So to get people in a, in, in, in a room and say, right, okay, Let's have a look at you in your roles. What's getting in the way of you doing your best work? And I think, I think from the teams in the services, they have come up with similar things. And what, what they find is there's a lot of escalation of decision-making responsibility that comes up the line to them. And either through their own skills or incompetence or through the culture in the organisation, they either address those for their teams without necessarily taking the coaching coaching approach to engage and maximise the potential of their teams to, to make those decisions for themselves, 
or they're escalating them further up the line to more senior managers. So you then get this trend of, of decision-making that's coming up from the line and almost going to the top. And, and that was something that we were aware of at, at, at the very start, that some quite low-level decision-making was coming up the line very quickly. And we didn't always know why. So, and, and I think this is, this is helping us really to start addressing that and, and working with the teams to see how they can start to make some of these decisions and remove some of the barriers from preventing them from doing it in the first place. That's so important, isn't it? So if our values and if the way that we want to work is keeping decision making as close to people we support as possible that has to go alongside team members being supported to know what decisions they're enabled to make with the people we support rather than going as you say up through the the chain of command so are you finding any early wins is there anything uh, noteworthy to share that's different at the moment I think certainly the, well, I think productivity is, is, is one thing. And I think that's come certainly from our head office teams with some of the, the, the statistics we produced earlier uh, that, that we, we, we spoke about earlier. I think the other thing is in relation to the two pilot sites that we've got out in our services, there's clearly a coming together of the people in the team. That's the first thing. So that's helping to really formulate those teams more. We've noticed certainly in the extra care services where we're running this that there's been that they're starting to see some improvements in results in relation to things like agency costs, staff attendance. Um, they're using dashboards in their services now, so they're so they're making it very visual to staff what some of their key metrics are in relation to running those services and where they currently sit. So that's bringing in, I suppose, some healthy competition, but it's making things very transparent. So it's not just a leader's issue, it's, it, it's around how the whole team in, in, engages in the, in the good performance of that service. So I think that's, I think that's been really, really important. And, and I know in the, in the other, the supported accommodation services, the, the number of calls that have been reduced. And one of the things that we're using around the call handling is, so lots of decisions are coming up and being escalated to the, to the team leaders. But what the team leaders have been doing is they've been keeping a tally of the number of calls that come through. And they're trying to establish any common areas where people might be phoning through. So, for example, uh, something around admissions, maybe a medication issue, something like that. And they're developing some what, what if scenario cards. So they'll come up with a scenario of, you know, for example, a medication error. And then they will look at that problem with the team using a coaching approach and, and kind of facilitate a discussion around, okay, if we get these types of issues, what can we be doing in the team? Uh, so that's working quite well. And I think going back to the, to the extra care service, they've also got uh, staff in some of their services starting to help to cover the rotors and things like that, which is typically done by the team leaders. So that's freeing up some of the team leaders' time to start focusing on some other areas as well. And it's also reducing the calls that they're receiving out of hours. This is fascinating because, Phil, what really stands out to me is we didn't go to your colleagues and say, let's think together about how we create efficiencies. The question was, what's getting in the way of you doing your best work in this team? And the teams are choosing the things that they really, really want to focus on using this problem-solving approach. So to actually get efficiencies and these changes out of such a process was a huge surprise to me. I thought we'd, we'd be more likely to get some more of the psychological safety, bring your whole self to work effects, but it's been completely different, hasn't it? 
Yeah, I think I think the the problem solving point point that you made there is re- really quite interesting because our original ob- objective in this was to create more autonomy in teams. But in doing that, what we were looking at was how we can enable our teams to make decisions much closer to the front line in, in many respects, as close to their role as possible. And in in doing that, that appears, and I say appears because we're, what, we're 12, 14 weeks into, into this process, maybe a little bit longer. What appears from that is that teams and individuals are coming up with different solutions and different ideas and testing them out. And we've known through, through both the sprints so far that people have tested things that haven't worked. Mm-hmm. But isn't that good? Because they've learned from that and at least they've tried. <laughs> so yes. they're trying something else. So that's really important as well, that, 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 that people feel they can learn and they're supported to learn from their mistakes as well. So we've got some examples of where that's happened. And we've got, so as part of the tactical meetings that we're using, we look at any actions that have been agreed, but we also look at any decisions that are made. And teams have made decisions about, we're not going to do this. We want to try something different. We don't think this is working. And they've been given the space to have those conversations, which in turn, if you kind of look at it on an equation perspective, one would feel that you would probably end up with a plus sign next to the psychological safety at the end of this because by creating that space for staff and allowing them to make those decisions and learn from those decisions they'll feel safer in doing it again which in turn has an impact upon the psychological safety that's how I see it anyway Yes, what we've done, or what we've certainly tried to do, is introduce the idea of sprints, so working intensively for eight weeks, seeing it as an experiment, so that success isn't that everything works, but that we're trying something new to address a specific problem, and enabling teams to choose the area they want to work in, and take and use data to inform decision-making, and working in sprints where you're experimenting. Is, I think this is fair to say, Phil, not typically how things have worked in making space. No, no, it's not been really. And I think I think what it is doing is is is, is helping us to collate that evidence base for decision making. And I think I think one of the things that we're looking at at the moment as the executive team, we're doing our own sprint at the moment, and our own sprint is looking at decision making. And it's looking at uh, accountability, uh, how we can increase autonomy. Uh, but what gets in the way of people being able to make decisions? So where do those bottlenecks sit? I think one of the things that we're doing at the moment is, as, as the executive team, is we're collating that data around well, what does decision-making currently look like? What do people feel about decision-making? What do they feel gets in the way? If they could make more decisions or if they had more autonomy, is that something that people want? Do they want more of it, less of it? So we're looking at all of those areas at the moment. But... But again, we're, we're putting the time in to collect the data uh, and that's really been quite important for us and something we've really emphasised. I think, I think we learned from the end of the first sprint, Helen, that when we moved into the second sprint, what we really needed to pin down was where does the data, where does the evidence sit that supports this? 
and then we can move forward and say, well, what are some of the actions that we can actually take? And I suppose it's looking more now at a double loop learning cycle rather than a single loop learning cycle. So we're actually starting to get really back to some of the beliefs, attitudes, and that kind of thing that sits behind some of the decisions that are made, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's part of the work that we're doing certainly now and moving into the next sprint. You're right. That's some of my learning uh, together with you from the first sprint to the second sprint. Is in the first sprint, collecting data was optional. In the second sprint, we're expecting everybody to collect data because we've seen how powerful it is. So that's been something that, that I've powerfully learned from this process. So Phil, we are just about in a few weeks time to get people back together again to look at what's been learned from the end of the second sprint. If you were doing this again, or if you were making recommendations to other large national providers who might be interested in this way of working, what, what would your learning be? What would you recommend to others who might be interested in this? I think the approach that we've taken, I, I, I would recommend that approach to, to anybody really in, in terms of looking at the sprint, looking at an experiment, uh, looking at tensions. Uh, now we've we've taken two approaches so far. We've used the ready cards, but then with one team for the second sprint, we've got them to come up with their own tensions on the on the second time round, just to see how that might differ. So that's been interesting to do that. So I think I think giving teams some flexibility that where there are tensions that may exist outside of those ready cards, though they are very comprehensive, <laughs> that they can bring that in as well. I think the other thing as well is that because you're in a sprint, it's happening at pace and teams have got to commit time in order to achieve achieve the end game in many respects. So I think we're seeing more of that the second time around. But I think what's really important is there is that there is that intervention that takes place regularly through the sprint window uh, for coaching, facilitation, or just a check-in to see, hey, how are we getting on? Are we on track? Do we need to make any changes? Is everybody engaged, et cetera, et cetera. And probably the final thing which has been really useful for us is we have used Microsoft Teams. Uh, so we, we, we're using that across a number of our teams, but we're using a digital solution for teams to be able to communicate on process and upload information data and that kind of stuff so that's really helpful to keep everything in one place and really to be able to demonstrate the progress that's being made so i think that's really important i think there's a potential could happen if you don't take that approach and we've we've had some example of this is is where the the coaching is quite loose or those check-ins don't happen as much as they can certainly during the first one that teams can become diverted with other priorities and can become sidetracked or, or, or start to work in, working upon different tensions. So as I say about the rabbit holes before, so I think that's important that there is a, that there is a focus uh, and an end result in mind with this. And it does finish in that eight to 10 week sprint. And then after that, it's right, okay, what have we learned? How do we now take this forward? So, the, and that's really important as well that, in between the first sprint and the second sprint, we had a period of four weeks. We had Christmas that's that period. But I think that was important for the, for, for the teams to be able to go away, reflect upon uh, what they'd learned, uh, put other changes in place, as some teams did, but then be ready to move into the second sprint. So we've maintained this 
momentum throughout. I think what will be key will probably be post third sprint and then how we continue with that coaching and, uh, and support as we move forward. Yes, I've noticed that the leadership from yourself and the HR team and from the CEO, Rachel, I think has sends a really significant message. And the understanding that we're doing this for three sprints and we're using that to co-create a set of practices that we think might be useful more broadly in the organisation. And I think at the moment, that's one-page profiles. And Aaron Dignan, in his book, describes that as a user manual to me, which I think is a lovely phrase. Team agreements and team profiles are now starting to look at compassionate communication or non-violent communication as a practice and tactical meetings and confirmation practice, because you're actually absolutely right, to create team agreements and not review them is not going to enable people to to put them into practice. So it's exciting for me to see which practices are making the biggest difference. And Phil, the executive team sprint, do you recommend that you get started with headquarters or head office and operational teams and then the executive team essentially looks at the themes from that because you're right decision making came up uh, in both places or if you had your time again would you have the executive team doing their own sprint headquarters doing their own sprint and operations doing their own sprints all together what would you recommend I think the way that we've done it has so far has 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 worked well, and that and that's been during the so during the first sprint we purpose with exception to one team we purposely didn't involve the executive team in 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 the sprint or within their functional teams we stayed out of that and it was the heads of the teams that work with the teams on on the sprints and I think when we first used the ready cards there was two different types of tension. There was a team-based tension and there was an organisational tension. And of course, the organisational tensions are the bigger things. So, for example, recruiting and retaining talent, IT infrastructures. So things that you aren't going to be able to turn around within an eight or 10 week sprint. But what we felt as an executive team moving into the second sprint was, well, our teams have said an awful lot about these tensions now. We captured all of the tensions in the first four sessions that we had, and we've done that again in the second sprint. And we've then reviewed them and reflected upon them. And then we have chosen which of those tensions we believe we can work on as a team. So the first one that we've we've chosen is around the bottlenecks in decision-making, the lack of accountability in team decision-making and that kind of stuff. So it's all around the decision-making area. And I think we're still collecting data. So we've we've run a survey. We're, we're doing a tally of how many decisions are escalated up to us and whether they could be diverted or whether they are for us or whether they weren't needed at all, et cetera, et cetera. So we're really looking at decision-making from a down-up situation, I suppose, or bottom to top, looking at really where those decisions stem from at the the bottom of the organisation and and then really starting to look at, right, okay, why are those decisions having to come up higher? Why are they having to come up higher? So we're focusing around that area. So I think what's also important, though, is that the teams also see that the senior management team are just as involved in this as the teams are. So it's not just something that the senior management team thinks is a good idea. It's something that the senior management team are not only holding the space for, but they're actively involved in it and role modelling the practice. So that's really important for us that, that we are 
seen as role models in this. Thank you, because that's the leadership that we need to see as organisations move towards greater autonomy, greater bringing your whole self to work and greater psychological safety. So, Phil, let's come back together again at the end of Sprint 3 and see what your reflections are then and what's changed. But I have been blown away, actually, by the efficiencies that have been created by the energy that this has generated and by seeing teams grapple with very very different ways of working so thank you so much to you and making space for pioneering this new approach to exploring greater autonomy in teams thank you for listening i'd love to hear your reflections please tweet me i'm at helen at wb teams This podcast is a companion to Open Teams. On this podcast, we share the voices and stories of pioneering organizations in health, care, and public services. And on Open Teams, you can see the documents that they're using. Have a look at openteams.co.uk. And if you're interested in wellbeing teams, please come and find me on LinkedIn, where I share a weekly two-minute film, or my blog site, ellensanderson.net. And finally, if you're interested in self-management and need some support along the way, I'd love to hear from you. I'm at helen at wellbeingteams.org. Thank you.